Hey guys, what is going on? This is Carlos, CEO of GAR Capital. Welcome aboard to our GAR Capital podcast. For this week's episode, we're going to talk about the rest of the year market preview. As you know, we're almost about the <clears throat> tail end of hitting the fourth quarter. October begins the fourth quarter. We're tailing in. We're three quarters of the way into the year. Last week of September now, let's talk about exactly where we've come from, where we've been, what to expect, so on and so forth. This is one question I get the most on Instagram or on any social media platform is, when is the recession coming? Carlos, the world's going to end. When is the world going to end? I mean, everyone thinks I have a crystal ball. It doesn't work that way, number one. No, the world's not going to end anytime soon, guys. You know, For some reason, human beings tend to really, really have interest in their own demise, which I never understood. But either way, I digress. <clears throat> The main thing here is that we're going to talk about the future of the stock market and what to expect. So for that, I'm going to go and bring up our daily chart. Right now, the S&P 500 is at 29.29.67 cents, which is the SPX, S&P 500 index, uh, the exact figure to look at. Now, the S&P 500 fund index, when I tell you guys to invest in, that's SPYG or SPY, completely different. <clears throat> SPX is an exact math uh, exact price of the actual equities in the 500 uh, stocks largest stocks by capitalization in the united states now where have we come from uh we started in the year 20 uh 2018 excuse me at 2700 so we're about 240 points up on the s p 500. so what does that tell you well obviously we're in a bull market that <laughs> needs no no uh no if ands or buts about that right guys so with that being said, you know, we've had the longest bull market now in the history of the U.S. It's just a fact. That's where we are. Now, you could say to yourself, well, where are we as a economy? Where are we as a nation? Where are we as the business of the United States? Well, let's go ahead and give a little bit of context. In the last 52 weeks, the S&P 500 went from 2488, which is the range, to 2941 is the high. So we're actually up about 9.58% year to date on the S&P 500. So that's the broadest base of the stock market that we can go by. Uh, I don't like using the Dow Jones Industrial Average because those are the bluest of the blue chip stocks. There's just 30 of the biggest stocks. The S&P 500 has 500 of the biggest in the United States. So again, we can go over a couple of numbers. We could talk about PE ratios. We can talk about foreign earnings, board sales. We could do that right now. Uh, the average PE in the S&P 500 is 30.4, which is pretty high. Uh, so technically, the PE ratio right now in the S&P 500 is actually 12, trailing 12 months is 24.55, which is relatively pretty high in a sense. Now, you probably say to yourself, well, does that mean it's expensive? Yeah, kind of. But again, we're not going to talk about just the technical side of the stock market. This market is different than many others. Uh, you could bring up the tech boom in the 90s, the uh, financial crisis of 20, 2008, and that boom beforehand after 9-11, which lasted about seven years. And then you have the bull market now. So what's driving this bull market, guys? What are you saying? What's driving this? If you had to label it, what would be labeling it? Honestly, I would say the consumerism boom. I would say the consumer boom. There's not really one thing. I can't say it's a crypto boom because that came and went. I still like crypto long term, but that's nothing to do with this economy. It's definitely not marijuana stocks and it's definitely not a tech boom 
that you could say like, oh, these are override tech stocks because these tech stocks actually make money <laughs> like your Amazons, your Apples, your Netflix, your Facebooks and your Googles actually are profitable. They actually make money. Unlike pets.com in 1999 or, you know, excite.com, which made no money. Those companies are completely different. So I can't say it's an internet boom, just like uh, 1990, 97, 98, 99. And we've already exceeded those numbers in the NASDAQ uh, easily. But I would say it's a consumerism boom. Now, again, guys, when it comes to consumerism, you need to understand that 70% of economic activity in the United States is based on the consumer, consumer spending. So again, when someone eats out at a restaurant and they pay their bill, that's paying for the busboy, that's paying for the server, the lights, the company, the owner, the food. And then if they get more customers, guess what? They get to spend more on advertising, get to spend more on, on, for, on workers. They get to spend more on chefs, they get to spend more on materials, and they spend more on materials, guess what? That retail store or wholesaler is gonna spend more on their, uh, on their workers. So again, let's kind of break it down like this and make it a little easier. Let's say you own a barbershop, very simple, you own a barbershop. You get an influx of people coming in to get a haircut. Maybe they have a little more money in their pocket. Maybe they're gonna come in every two and a half weeks, three weeks instead of every month. So again, you're gonna make a little more money because now you're getting more volume of people coming in to get a haircut. Well, since you're getting more people coming in, now you may have to increase hours. Maybe you have to hire more help, which is great, more barbers, more volume to handle that, more money in your pocket. Maybe the materials you're using, your clippers, your disinfectant, your baby powder or powder, what have you, now you need to order more products. So now the wholesaler who sells those beauty products has to hire more people to handle the boom of people coming into the barbershop. So that wholesaler gets to expand his operations by buying more product. And the person, the company that makes that product gets to hire more workers because they have more volume of people buying their stuff, which is great. So we're going to so on and so forth. What I want you to understand is that the economy is basically like a candle. Again, my candle can light yours. My flame doesn't go out. Now your candle lights everyone else's. That's where I think we are in this economy. It's basically a consumerism economy. We're in the consumer boom. Now, when it comes to technology, we know that Apple is the largest company in the world. What is Apple's biggest product? It's a phone. It's not even a computer. It's a phone. Now, granted, this phone is like a computer in your hands. Sure, but it's driven by the consumer. There's more people buying this phone as a consumer than a business. It's not like ExxonMobil where their biggest, biggest uh, you know, uh, countries are buying their oil and the refineries, you know, stuff like that's more industrial. Or Google, their biggest customer is private enterprise using the cloud or, you know, advertising. Again, Apple is a direct-to-consumer product and it's the largest in the world. So, again, that should tell you the, the, the strength of a consumer. And again, consumer confidence plays into this. The more confident the consumer is to spend, the better the economy is going to be. You know now that we're in a sub-4% unemployment. That's great news. Wages are not going as fast high as you expect. So people are spending. People have jobs. It's a great economy. And that boosts everything else. Now, does that correlate to a strong stock market? Yes and no. Keep in mind, guys, a strong stock market is not indicative of a strong economy. Again, the stock market is just prices of companies, of shares of companies. Just because a stock price is high or the index is high doesn't mean necessarily the economy is good. Is it an indicator of an economy? It's an indicator, but I don't want to let you believe that it's the only indicator there. It's a lot more than that. I'd rather you look at gross domestic product. I'd rather you think about uh, unemployment. 
I'd rather you think about non-farm payroll reports, uh, inflationary data. That to me is more indicative of an economy, retail sales, than just the stock market. Because it's just, keep in mind that not every consumer or every middle class worker is invested in stocks. For the most part, they are with 401ks. Fine. But again, those are just companies. If they're doing well, their stock price is going to go up, yes. But it's not the only reason or the only form of an economy going up. And it's not just a direct reflection or direct correlation of a strong economy. It can be it can be indifferent. I wouldn't say completely not correlated, but again, there is a little bit there. I just don't want you to be that, oh, the stock market is strong, then the market is then the economy is good. Not necessarily. It's a little more deep dive than that. So talking back to the SPX, why is it going up? So again, there's a couple of things I want to touch on and why it's going up. One, we know the economy is strong. We know people are buying, so we know that sales are up. Great news. Earnings, EPS, we talked about that. Earnings per share. That's the number one thing I see in a stock. EPS. Are they making sales? Again, when it comes to profit, everyone's like, oh, are they profitable? Are they profitable? Profit's good, yes. But in order to make profit, I can cut back workers. I can cut back costs and then make the margin a little wider, which can fluff my numbers. Earnings you can't fake. Sales you cannot fake. Either you got them or you don't. Profits I can kind of fluff for a little bit. I can cut back. In workers, I can cut back in materials, I can cut back in overhead and still show profitability. So again, it's important to be profitable, but it's more important to bring sales. So again, if you're bringing higher EPS from last quarter, last year, year to date, I'm seeing growth in EPS or growth in earnings. That's telling me, honestly, that you're growing. That's telling me that you're having a strong company. Are you breaking expectations? Yes. Analysts are already seeing this company and where it's going. Again, if it's beating expectations from the street, those are good signs. Earnings per share, what have you. Yes, cash flow. These are things. Now, across the board, earnings per share is up in the S&P companies. I believe 75% of EPS growth on S&P 500 companies are going up, which is strong. Keep in mind that the stronger the earnings, stronger the, the, the stock price is going to go up. Yes. Now, are there some valuation issues in, the, in, in some stocks? Yes, absolutely. But again, again, it's all about based on value of the person. Well, what is? What do you think it's valued? Again, just because you buy Apple, you don't think Apple's valued, doesn't mean the stock is not going to go up. Again, maybe it's out of your price range in the sense that the PE is a little expensive, price to earnings ratio, which is usually the indicative of the actual value of a company, how much you're paying for each dollar profit. That's what you're seeing, price to earnings ratio. So again, or earnings in general, again, that is up to you to decide as an investor. You have to do your homework. But again, just because you decide something is expensive or maybe you think this market is expensive, doesn't mean that people are not going to buy it. It's still valued somehow or it could be going up in value. So that's what it, that's the first sign. Again, we're seeing sales. We're seeing earnings reports, EPS strengthening going up. Number two, stock buybacks. It's no secret that companies are buying back their stock, which is completely fine. They could do it. They could do whatever the hell they want. These are these are. Uh, SP 500 companies that are buying back their shares due to the fact that, hey, they got a little cash kicking around. And how are they getting that cash kicked around? Well, tax cuts. Tax cuts help, don't they? Tax cuts give more cash to the companies in their pockets. So what do they do? They just buy back shares. So when you buy back shares, again, it makes your company look a lot more invested into their company. So again, you could always hire more people, but that's going to cost you. That's a liability. But buying back assets like stock, is a good sign that you believe in your own company. So again, we see the difference from the year 2000 to 2007, 2018 now, 
we're nearing $200 billion in quarterly dividend and buyback spending for S&P 500 companies. They're buying back. I mean, Apple repurchased 112.8 million shares in the quarter that ended in June, contributing five cents to its earnings of $2.34 a share. And Union Pacific, for example, this is according to the Wall Street Journal, repurchased about 4% of its shares in the second quarter, helping its earnings per share climb substantially faster than any income. How about this? Interesting. Thanks to buybacks, Southwest Airlines quarterly per share earnings rose, even though its profit fell from a year earlier. So again, buybacks do help boost the stock because what happens when you're buying back the stock, you're, decrease, you're increasing the scarcity of availability of stock, meaning that there's not enough shares out there. Again, where more shares are out there. Now, granted, a, a Southwest Airlines is an S&P 500 company. Again, you're going to have plenty of shares to buy. But again, in general, it still brings back down the supply, which brings the value up. But again, people need to buy it in order to want it. So for an S&P 500, per share earnings in the second quarter rose about 25% from a year ago, a full two percentage points faster than net income, according to Thomson Reuters. So this is, this is a quote. I would be fair to assume that it is all from buybacks. It is fair to assume that in regards to EPS growth. But the higher per share earnings have helped lead investors to pay more for stocks. So this does make stocks a little more expensive. So again, we are trading at record highs in the S&P due to these uh, stock buybacks. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. It makes your stock more valuable, but yet you're paying more, you're paying a higher price for these stocks, for these names. But again, now I'm gonna turn into the question of the macroeconomic side of why stocks are going up at this moment. Where else are you gonna put your money, guys? Seriously. Where else? You're definitely not putting it in China. We know exactly where we are with China. They're falling with this trade war. You're not going to put it in Argentina. You're not going to put it in Turkey. Europe, you're going to put it in England? Good luck with Brexit. You're going to put it in Japan? There's still negative interest rates. We know where Japan is. They're all over the place. Uh, Russia, I don't trust them. India is actually falling. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. Philippines, no. Australia, mm, they're slowing down. So where else? Canada, they're falling a little bit. Mexico? I don't trust that government. The United States, that's where you're going to put your money. American equities are still the strongest stock market in the world. The only other place I could say that I would put my money is in Switzerland, if you want to play a little defensive. But even the Swiss National Bank, their biggest holding in their, in their portfolio is Apple stock. True story. <laughs> so again, you almost have a perfect wave of a very, very strong environment for investing in stocks lower taxes, lower unemployment, and it's almost like a Goldilocks effect. It's working out to the benefit for everybody. And then number two is that we're still ahead of the competition of where we want to be. Where else are you going to put your money? Where else? That's the key. Where else are you going to put your money? Definitely not China, definitely not Japan or anywhere else. You're just going to stick with what you know is best. Good, strong companies will get cash flow. So that's where we are. And we stay with the prediction uh, this earlier this year that we had the Dow hitting 30,000 this year, the S&P hitting 3,000 and the NASDAQ hitting 9,000. That is our prediction. That was our prediction for the beginning of the year in January. We're closing in on that. I still believe that we're still going to hit that. I still think we're going to continue to run up. So that's the bullish case of why I think stocks are going to go up continually. We're going to have a great third quarter report in the last quarter of the year, which we started in October. I still believe that these companies are still going to do well. As an investor, I do go to the malls. I still see how the economy is doing. Sometimes I'll ask managers, I'll ask employees, how are sales doing for you? And the surveys I've gotten, for the most part, again, not very scientific, pretty good. A lot of people, a lot of foot traffic. 
Here's a little here's a little tip that I always tell people. Two ways I can tell the economy is doing well. Airports and malls. Are the malls packed? Are the airports packed? Are people traveling? Traveling on cheap? Business travel will actually scale back if they're if they're losing a little money. And people at the mall shopping, we know how important it is when it comes to consumer spending. 70% of the economy is consumer spending. So we know this. Go to your local mall. Go pass by the airport. Tell me what you see. See with your eyes. See exactly. You can actually start looking at stores and see how packed they are. Are you seeing a lot of store closures? What was the big last biggest uh, store closure? I would say Toys R Us. But again, that was more of an Amazon thing and more of a debt thing than it was anything else. So I really can't say that was more indicative of a bad economy because that's just not the case. So now we talked about the bull case of the stock market moving forward. And I am bullish. Now let's talk about the bear case. What's going to cause the next recession? Because it's going to happen. The question is when? I can't say anytime soon. If you said gun to my head, when is the economy? When is the next recession? It's going to be in four years, in my opinion, three to four years, not shorter than that. Okay, so what's going to cause this? Number one, I'm going to say here, it's consumer debt. Debt, we're going to have a debt snowball. That avalanche is going to happen. What's the number one culprit? Student loans. People borrowing to go to school with degrees that are basically worthless. I hate to say it. I'm a firm believer in education, but again, spending 100 grand in a degree in women's studies to work at Starbucks is absolutely ludicrous. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not necessary. But again, we are already told to believe in your head. You have to go to college. You have to go to college. You have to go to college, right? Unfortunately, that's the world we live in. So we think to ourselves, hey, we got to go to college. We got to go ahead and study what we want to study. Get a student loan. That's just the way it goes. Spend four years in a college party and get education that's not really helpful in the world. If you told me one degree I would say to get, I would say sales, but they don't offer that. There's no sales degree. So again, unless you're becoming specialized, a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, a surgeon, an accountant, something like that, fine. But other than that, there's no real reason to get a degree in history. And you're not gonna do anything with it, honestly. So again, again, that's just my two cents on college. But again, this is due to a debt bubble that we're having. Now, again, guys, it's a ripple effect. If someone has $100,000 of debt, student loan debt, he's not likely to buy a car. He's not likely to buy a house. He's not likely to go on vacation because he has this debt hanging around his neck. So again, the United States government is very short-sighted in a sense of giving access, almost too much access to education as almost a right. But again, if a kid is 18 years old, when he graduated high school, he had to ask permission to go to the restroom in high school and now give the kid three months from summer to go to college. Now he's borrowing $100,000. Where's the disconnect here, guys? Where's the disconnect? Very short-sighted. That's not going to work in this economy. And again, there's going to be ripple effects. That's the debt bomb I'm talking about. The next one is consumer debt. Again, when times are good, people get loose with their pockets. Again, it's a personal finance thing. Do we see people borrowing money to buy stock? I haven't seen the numbers to support that to support that uh, question in regards to margin. I don't say so, but again, for the most part, a lot of, a lot of I've spoken to a lot of people that have a lot of credit card debt, and that's, that's pretty scary, and they're living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, the median income in Miami, Florida, where I live in this county, Miami-Dade County, the median income for four is $48,000, $48,000. Now, if you're listening to us in Nebraska or Iowa or you know, Montana, you're probably saying to yourself, that's not bad. Miami, Florida, the median rent 
rent is about $1,800 for a tutu, almost $2,000. And that's not exactly the good side of town. That's just a regular side of town. Okay, if you're making $48,000 a year, you cannot afford $1,800 a month. You need two incomes. Fine, you have a roommate, you're married. Let's say, you know, she makes X amount. Well, you still have the student loans over your, over your neck. And how much is a payment on a $100,000 student loan? If you're only making 40 grand, 50 grand. So again, that's the problem I see. Now, how does that affect the stock market? We've already talked about that. If people are not buying, EPS goes down, profits or earnings, excuse me, sales and earnings. And then of course, margins go down because companies are gonna kinda scale back in order to boost their profitability. They have to, this is, a, this is business. So again, it's all the consumer. Can they continue this kind of spending with debt having over their head? Keep in mind with this economy, there's one thing that's, that's shown. Wages are not moving as fast as it should. Even with a scarcity of jobs, not scarcity of jobs, scarcity of workers, you have to pay workers more in order to get them to your company because unemployment is so low, 3.9%. Inflation should go up. Inflation is relatively tame right now. But again, wages are not coming up in order to meet everyone's needs in regards to consumerism spending, consumer around spending, right? So what if most people have done, they've taken on more debt in order to keep their lifestyle in check. That's the problem. That's a ticking time bomb because you have borrowed an X amount, but yet your wages have not risen over time. That's going to be a disaster waiting to happen because there's a difference between wage growth and debt growth. Wage growth, if it grows a little bit, it's not keeping up with inflation. It's not keeping up with your debt. So again, if it, your debt goes up, you're not even adding interest payments. So the interest payments alone puts you down in the red and keeps you in the red. And your wage growth, which is basically flatline, if you want to say 2%, but you're borrowing at 20%, you're at an 18% negative margin. So again, you need to make an 18% gain. You want to make it a side hustle, start Ubering, fine. But again, is that enough to prop up this economy? No, it's not. It just isn't. So again, you can keep people on the Ferris wheel for long, but it is not forever. So again, how do you... How do you contage that? How do you battle that? Well, very simple. If you're somebody that's preparing for a recession, I would say you need to go ahead and stick with high dividend stocks. High dividend stocks are not going to go anywhere. Coca-Cola, Clorox, defensive stocks. You know, McDonald's, you know, ExxonMobil, Chevron. Uh, I still like those companies. Stick with those AT&Ts of the world. You know, stick with the companies that you know are going to stay around. So again, high dividends because those companies are still going to pay you. Now, again, they can always take away their dividend, but most likely they're not. But again, are you going to get a hit in your portfolio anyways? Yes. You're going to take a hit. That's fine. It's just what it is. Unless you're planning to retire in two years, three years, I wouldn't worry about it because you're going to get more value when the stock market falls. It's like Black Friday shopping. Why do you think more TVs are sold on Black Friday shopping than any time in, in, uh, in shopping in, for consumers? Why? Because it's cheaper. You want to buy stocks cheap. Am I right? Would you buy a stock that said, hey, or would you buy a TV that says, hey, we're 50% marked up, come get some? No, you wouldn't do that. So why would you treat the same with stocks? Why do moths go to a flame when the stock market is up to buy when it's maybe expensive, but yet when stock market is down, it's on sale, you're not looking at it the same way. So we almost have an inverse psychology when it comes to stocks. Take a look at stocks as owning as companies. Instead of looking at just the price constantly, look at the value you're getting. Look at the value. So again, if you do see a recession or coming, if that's what you think, then you need to be on cash. You need to have cash in hand to make sure you can take advantage. 
Maybe it's a property. Maybe you want to go ahead and get some cheaper stock. Stocks that you really had your eye on that you wanted to buy and they get a 20% pullback. Yeah, you just got 20% back in, in, in equity just buying these stocks cheap and you're holding it long term. So think of it that way when it comes to you know a recessionary issue. Do I see that happening anytime soon? No, I said three to four years in my opinion. But uh, again, we have to see if the consumer or this consumable market will continue. Now, that's yet to rain to be seen. But I do foresee here 3,000 in the S&P, 30,000 in the Dow, and definitely 9,000 in the NASDAQ. Just where else are you going to be? Again, where else are you going to be? Profits are up. Stock buybacks are up. Um, there's no signal, recessionary signal that I have seen that's going to happen anytime soon. So whether you have a positive view on the president, negative view on the president, whatever, it's irrelevant. Again, the stock market is strong in spite of the president, not because of him in a sense. Has he had some beneficial legislation? Absolutely, tax cuts. But a lot of the headlines in regards to trade wars, this market has been very resilient. And again, that's indicative of where else you're going to put your money. That's telling me that the world doesn't care. It says, hey, the United States is still where I'm going to put my money and make some more money. That's where I'm going to put my money. And then the same way. Think of it that way. That's your best bet. So again, if you're plan planning or you think a recession is coming, be in cash if that's the case. But I want to make this last point before we end this episode, guys, when it comes to the markets. You need to understand the paralysis of analysis. Someone who always is thinking recession is coming, crash is coming, crash is coming, crash is coming, is going to miss out on opportunities. If we stretch out the S&P 500 in the past 10 years, from the last crash, which was 10 years ago, this is the drop of Lehman Brothers in about 2008, 2009. The S&P was at 666. Now, again, I don't think you'd have that paralysis at that time. But let's say you got up to 1100, you know, that nice round number. You're like, oh, that's it. The economy is going up 1200, 1300. Right when you say 1400 in 2013, you say the market is going to fall back down. You watch. I don't think it's going to run. And you already have that paralysis by analysis. Again, I'm not saying don't hedge. I'm not saying don't protect. But just having this thing in your head of being negative, listening to the news all day, you know, your Fox News, your CNNs, whatever, it doesn't matter. But remember, they pump you full of fear. It's always something wrong in the world. Something's going to bad happen. Look what you missed out in April 2013 on. From 1437 to 2929, because you were set in your ways, the boy who cried wolf. Yet, the only real, the only real two dips we've had was in 2016, from 2100 to 1800, and 2,800 to 2,600 in February in 2018. So the last real two pullbacks were in two years. So one every year in a sense. And I'm looking at an SPX and a monthly chart, 10 years. So because of your hardheadedness, because of your fear, because of your boy cried wolf, because of your paralysis by analysis, right? You're so smart. You think the world's going to end. You've been saying it now for the past 10 years, and it hasn't. You missed out on a great opportunity. Again, I'm not saying don't protect yourself. That's fine. But again, you need to understand that, you know, opportunities are not given to you constantly. It's your, it's your job to look at these opportunities, weigh it, and analyze, analyze it correctly and keep your, either your politics or your fear to the side. I'm not saying be greedy, but there's always that quote from, uh, from uh, Warren Buffett. When others are fearful, be greedy. And others are greedy, be fearful. And that's the very truth. That's the truth right there. So again, don't be in paralysis of analysis, guys. Life is more than just a chart, especially the economy. Look at the macroeconomics. Look at the microeconomics. Look at the consumer. Look at what's around you. Trade what's in front of you, not what you think. The market is giving you indications every single day. Trade that way. Invest that way. And you will build your way to wealth.
and you're going to block out a lot of the noise because you already have a plan and you know what you're doing. And that's the key to it, guys. And that's our prediction. That's what we think for the rest of the year, guys, the S&P and the stock market. So, again, still bullish. We're still bullish. Nothing has changed. So uh, thank you guys for joining me in this podcast. We love doing it every Sunday. We'll catch you for the next one. We'll put a poll up for the next uh, podcast that we're going to have. And we'll catch you guys then. My name is Carlos Garcia, founder and CEO of GAR Capital. Thank you so much for following us again. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, GAR Capital. Instagram, GAR Capital. Facebook, GAR Capital. Our Twitter, GAR Capital. And of course, our website, GARCapitalFX.com. Special thanks to all of our followers across social media and all of our clients. Uh, We love serving you every single day. Thank you so much again, guys, and we'll catch you guys soon.